Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Ask anyone to give you a list of their most sought-after treasures, and they're probably going to use a particular phrase about that list. Everything on it would be a dream come true. And that's the beauty of dreams, right? They have no limits, no boundaries, and sadly, no probability of actually happening. Which is why the phrase, dream come true, has so much power whenever someone wins the lottery or lands that promotion they worked so hard for. To everyone around them, their dreams had just come true, and it can't get much better than that. But not every dream come true is received well. Take, for example, the story of John Godley, known to the history books as Lord Kilbracken from Ireland, because what happened to him just after World War II was both amazing and, at least to him, more than a little disturbing. In the late 1940s, John was a student in Oxford, working hard and studying late into the night, as most students in his position would do. But when sleep did finally come to John, it sometimes filled him with the most unusual ideas. You see, despite the fact that John wasn't a gambling man, his dreams were filled with visions of horse races. One day after a particularly vivid dream featuring two separate races, John mentioned the details to a friend who raised his eyebrows in response. John had described two horses, one named Bindle and the other named Geladin, and then described how each of them won their race. His friend showed him a newspaper which listed horses with those exact names running in races the following day. At his friend's urging, John bet on both winners from his dream, despite the horrible odds, and then waited for the results. When it was over, John had made a small fortune, because both dream horses had actually won their respective races. Most of us would have been elated, and perhaps John was for a while. But soon enough, friends began to pester him for new picks, hoping to strike it rich with John's help. And it seems that all the attention began to wear on John's patience. So instead of giving them tips, he did the next best thing. He moved back to Ireland to get away from all of them. But John couldn't get away from his dreams. Later, not too long after settling in at his family's estate, he had another horse race dream, this one featuring a winner named Tubermore. Upon waking, John researched the horse name and found that there was a horse running in the famous Grand National that same day by the name of Tuba Rose. Despite horrible odds of about 17 to 1, John bet on it and won. Three months later, another dream led to another bet, this time on a horse named Monumental. The real horse had an eerily similar name and netted him another hefty payday. And those big victories tempted John into more frequent betting. But whether the dreams failed him or he began to bet without their help, he soon realized how destructive his gambling habit could become, and so he decided to quit. After that, the dreams became much less frequent. A whole decade went by with only a handful of dreams. Most of them proved to be true, but every now and then the dream would steer him wrong. John was increasingly becoming gun-shy with his predictions, and those losses must have stung more than a little bit. Losing money is never fun, after all. His last dream arrived in June of 1958, just a day before the annual Grand National. In this dream, the winner was a horse named What Man, but John couldn't find that name listed in the paper. The closest he could find was a horse named Mr. What, 
and after wrestling with his options, he decided to have faith in the dream and bet on the horse. Mr. Watt proved to be a good call, and John took home a tidy sum of money. After that, though, his dreams came to an end. John Godley never again dreamt of horse racing, and as a result, his gambling career was over. And from what I can tell, John was alright with that. Because if there's anything to learn from his experience with it all, it's that sometimes getting what you hope for is a lot less satisfying than you might imagine. In fact, it can lead you down a dangerous path, one full of a tenuous balance between risk and reward. It seems the old adage might be a bit misleading. Not every dream come true is a dream come true. Hill Beachy was a man with a dream. Well, considering the contents of his vision, it was more of a nightmare, really. In it, Hill watched with horror as a shadowy figure cut his friend Lloyd Magruder down with a hatchet. The killer then placed his boot on Magruder's chest and tugged the weapon free. And as the man straightened up, he seemed to look directly toward Hill Beachy, and that's when a bit of light fell across his face. In that moment, Hill knew exactly what his friend's killer looked like. Of course, dreams aren't real, and that's exactly what Hill's wife told him the next morning. But he couldn't shake the feeling that something bad was going to happen, or maybe already had. Lloyd Magruder was a good friend, and he'd be sad to see the man get hurt. The trouble was, Magruder wasn't around to warn. Lloyd was the owner of the General Store in Lewiston, a small community in what is now the state of Montana. Back in 1863, someone discovered gold about 200 miles to the south in Alder Gulch, attracting a flood of prospectors and fortune seekers to town. Unknown to Hill Beachy, Lloyd Magruder was already dead. It seems that he had loaded up his wagons with just about every bit of inventory he could find, and then rode south to set up shop for a few days in Alder Gulch. When he was finished, he headed home. Wagons empty, but pockets full. Being in the right place at the right time had made Magruder rich, and when you live in a town of wandering strangers and literal gold diggers, that had a way of putting a target on a person's back. So Hill Beachy's fear for his friend's safety wasn't misplaced. It was just unreasonable, considering the only information he had came from a dream. But Hill's dream had been accurate, because as Lloyd Magruder traveled home that week in the winter of early 1865, he wasn't alone. A handful of miners had decided to leave the digging and return to town with him, and together they had all ridden north, and joining them on that journey was a group of four strange men. Doc Howard, Chris Lowry, William Page, and Jim Romaine. But those four men weren't just strangers. They were hardened criminals, freshly escaped from jail. And they didn't see empty wagons. No, they saw opportunity, as well as saddlebags full of cash and gold. So they tagged along and waited for their moment. When that moment arrived, the four criminals killed Lloyd Magruder and the other miners in their sleep. Then they tossed the bodies over the edge of a canyon, gathered up all of the money and gold, and even the horses, and then made their way back to town. And with the snowstorm covering their tracks with a nice layer of white powder, it seemed that no one would ever be able to connect them to the crime. But they soon made a mistake. They chose to stay the night at the Luna Hotel in Lewiston. The hotel, as fate would have it, owned and operated by Hill Beachy. And when he looked up from his seat behind the desk, he felt the cold hand grip his heart at the sight of his friend's killer. 
Convinced that the dream was more than just a bit of imagination run amok, Beachy later snuck out to the stables, where he found confirmation of his fears. The horses the men rode in on, as well as their saddles, belonged to Magruder. The rest of the adventure is a bit of a journey, and it took several weeks for it all to come to a close. In the end, the criminals were finally tracked down to San Francisco, where they had gone to have their stolen gold minted into coins. Hill Beachy actually traveled there to help in their arrest, and after tricking one of them to reveal incriminating details, the authorities were led to the location of Lloyd Magruder's body. A body with a hatchet wound in the head and a bloody boot print on the chest, just as Hill Beachy had dreamed. On March 3rd of 1865, three of the four criminals hanged for the murder of Lloyd Magruder, and the adventure came to an end. Better yet, Magruder's widow Maggie was given all of the stolen money, a bag of freshly minted gold coins that would be worth close to a quarter of a million dollars today. It wouldn't bring her husband back, but it would certainly help her build a new life without him. It's fair to say that if it weren't for an eerily accurate dream, it's very likely that those men would have gotten away with murder, and the disappearance of Lloyd Magruder would never have been solved. Many criminals dream of the perfect crime, and they just about managed to pull it off. The trouble was, someone else dreamt of it too. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.